What's up, everyone? Solo here today, and this podcast is going to be a little short. I just kind of want to give you guys an update as to what I'm on, and we're going to touch base on early season a little bit. So I know I've been kind of off the off the books a little bit here. Um, just been doing a lot of different things. I had some video work that I was doing for backcountry hunters and anglers, and then I had I was actual actually contracted to do some work for um, Arrow Hunter Saddles as well. Um, so. Yeah, just been doing a, a lot of that plus my regular content. But the big thing that's been taking a ton of my time lately is actually the Deer Vein Whitetail series. So it's going to be a segment within this podcast, but it's pretty much going to control it and take over for the next three months. But I think you're going to like what it actually is. So the what the series is, is it's 27 podcasts in total, nine, for the, nine based on the early season, nine on the pre-rut and rut and nine in the late season. And they're also going to be pushed around from the Midwest, the East and the South. So that you can get different perspectives on the whole, on every, how everybody hunts around the country, but it also retains relevancy for a lot of different people. Because even in Wisconsin alone, where I'm from, if you're hunting the Nicolay national forest, that's totally different than hunting southern ag fields and farmland versus hunting swamps like there's so many different terrains and and biospheres that people hunt having people from the midwest the east and the south will really get a great perspective on that so if you ever find yourself in one of those scenarios at least you have a little bit of an idea based on these podcasts that we're doing um so you know having 27 podcasts all come out in a scheduled order and time frame and getting all the different guests from across the country um, I secured, uh, talked with Onyx Maps, and they're on board with me in sponsoring the podcast, and same with Arrow Hunter Saddles as well. So that's been awesome. Um, so I've been working with them a lot, trying to figure out everything that we're going to do when we're releasing, all that kind of stuff. So it is coming out at the end of August, and that'll be the first episode, and we're going to do um, two, two, generally two episodes a week on uh, a Monday and like a Wednesday is the tentative plan. And it will be released at the end of August so that the early season episodes will all kind of be done by October 1st so that, you know, anybody who's hunting in the early season can actually use that information this year and this fall. One of the things that really frustrated me was when like an early season podcast would air on like October 15th. Be like, well, it's already passed. Thanks for the information for next year. Let me go find like a pre-rut podcast, right? I'm sure a lot of you have done the same thing. So in general, that's that's the kind of plan. And then once October 1st hits, we're going to be uh, pushing out all the pre-rut and rut episodes up through kind of November 5th, November 15th. And then come like towards the end of November, we'll be pushing out all of the late season podcasts. So it's been a, a big undertaking, but I do have, I have talked to some phenomenal guests already. Um, and I'm going to be getting some really cool guests like Heartland Bowhunter. They'll be on for all three segments of the series. Um, also, the hunting public is going to be on for at least one, hoping to get them for, for more as well. And then you got like Southern Ground Outdoors. Um, you got Chasing Tails out of Florida. Um, then Clay Newcomb and Catman and Bo Martonic out of PA. Some guys out of Michigan. Like there's there's people kind of all over the board. And I think you guys are going to gonna really enjoy it. And it's going to be extremely educational. And I know from the few podcasts that I've done already, um, they're also fun and entertaining. In, in my opinion, I had a great time recording them. <laughs> 
Um, so, so anyway, that's what I've been up to. And those are actually going to start airing, uh, late. Let me look at my calendar. It's, uh, August 19th today. So they will actually be starting. Um, I'm going to fire them up, uh, August 31st. So that'll be the first date it airs. Then we'll go August 31st. Um, or I'm yeah. And then September 2nd, and we'll be pushing them out on Mondays and Wednesdays from there. So that's been taking up a ton of my time. Right. So I wanted to get that kind of off my chest and that's why I haven't been doing a lot of podcasts lately. And everybody that I've been doing podcasts with, I'm kind of like saving for this podcast series. Plus I only have so much time in my day. I generally actually only have uh, three hours in the evening um, from seven to 10 AM. And then I get up at 5 AM and I go from 5 AM to about six thirty, seven in the morning on working on this stuff again. And then I go to my actual job and then I take care of my family and do all that stuff. So it, it has been extremely um, busy lately for me, but I think it'll all be worth it. I think you guys will really enjoy it. I know I'm enjoying it. And I'm learning a lot. And I also got to get a ton of this stuff done before hunting season because I really don't want to be taking time out of my hunting season time frame to be doing podcasts and whatnot. Um, even though there will be some non deer vein um, whitetail series podcast floating around in there. We'll probably do a few, like, you know, if I, if we, if we end up killing a buck or we got a good friend who who's successful and we kind of wanted to talk about that hunt and how it played out and everything. Um, we, we will be airing stuff like that, but otherwise most of the hunting season will be this kind of educational learning and entertainment format. So, um, I hope you guys, yeah, I hope you guys stick around. I hope you guys really enjoy that. And also if you would like a big ask from me would be just share it with your friends or if you really enjoyed something, share it with your friends and, you know, share the post, whatever it is. Um, I'll be doing a bunch of stuff on Instagram and Facebook so that you can find everything there. And uh, podcasts just really spread word of mouth. And this is a huge undertaking for, for me personally. And it would mean the world to me if you guys would just share it or at least just, you know, tell your friend, hey, you should check out this podcast or something. Because as, you know, as it grows, um, I'm able to kind of start shifting my time. And, um, you know, hopefully within the next 10 years, I'm doing this full time. Like that's that's my objective um, doing podcasts, doing content, all that kind of stuff. It's kind of my route to get into the outdoor industry is just kind of make a name for myself. So if you guys like the content and you want me to be able to put out more <laughs> and grow more and everything, and you got some good feelings towards me, I I'd really appreciate your support on that in that regard. So anyway, with all that said, um, early season is right around the corner and in the podcasts for the whitetail series, I really don't do a whole, I try to do not a lot of talking because you guys hear me all the time. Uh, so I, I kind of leave it to my guests to tell me their story. Like I, I've invited them on as guests. I don't need to do the talking. Um, you know, I want them to do it and I want to learn from their experiences and I want to draw out information from them to help you guys learn as well. So that being said, I would like to throw my two cents in on early season here. Um, in the next 10, 15 minutes. And I'm, and I kind of want to break it down based on public land versus private land. And I'm going to start with public land because, um, I just think there's a lot more to it on public than there is on private. And don't get me wrong. Private land can be, 
you know, a real big pain early season and it can be extremely frustrating and unsuccessful. It's just, there's, you know, you can't plant food plots on public land. Um, you know, you can't, you can hunt over a food source, but it's really probably not that effective. But anyway, um, so as far as public to just jump right into public land early season, my typical strategy. So I'm hunting, um, kind of some ag fields that break into swamps. It's a lot. It's about 6,000 acres of public land or so, um, broken into about four or five parcels kind of spread out 20 to 30 minutes from my house. Well, closest parking lot is five minutes, which makes it very nice and convenient. And the furthest one's about 30 minutes. Um, and I like those different parcels for different reasons. It's taken me five years to pretty much scout probably 70% of that. I don't have it all done. Um, but when I'm out scouting and I'm doing all my scouting because it does have some swamp in it, um, I'm doing almost all my scouting out here in February and March because everything's going to be frozen up and, um, I'll be able to move around really easily in the marshes. Whereas, you know, trying to scout right now would kind of suck just because of the heat and the mosquitoes and the amount of water you're going to go through and everything. So when, when I'm out scouting, um, and I'll take it like as if, as if I'm in February or March right now, when I'm out scouting, I'm just looking for, um, open areas around oak trees that are roughly, I don't know, um, within a half mile of the parking lot, depending on the walk. Like I don't, you, you can call me like a, uh, a pussy about this or whatever, but I really don't like walking through the swamp and going through mosquito hell and nettle hell and all that stuff in the early season in 85 degrees. Like, it's just not, it's just not my thing. Um, especially if I don't know there's a buck there. If I'm, if I got a camera on an Oak Island in this swamp and I'm getting good pictures of a, of a buck regularly, yeah, I'm going to make the trek. But if I don't have that, man, it's a hell of a lot of work to, to come up empty handed. And, um, and I've done that probably 40 times without success. So I have given it a fair shot and I'm just not that (laughs) into it. Plus, um, you know, in the early season, like the first weekend or the first two weekends, you can actually catch good bucks and good deer in general, um, in spots that you, that you think deer would not be due to pressure or due to proximity to a parking lot. You know, they have been, they've been non-pressured for the last eight, nine months, right? So they're in their summer patterns. They're coming and cruising across parking lots and, and walking close to the front of pieces of public because a, like there's no pressure B there's food everywhere. C they can kind of bet anywhere. And you know, if you can find what I like to call those little honey holes, which are within, you know, quarter mile, half mile of the parking lot, and you're really just kind of walking a mode trail or you're walking an easy walk through the woods or something like that. And you can find those, those nice little spots. Uh, that's what I do. I always try to, when I'm scouting in, in February, March, I actually, the spots that I find closest to the parking lot, I mark them as early season first or second weekend. So, you know, you're finding a ton of sign right next to the parking lot. And if you go there in October and you don't see anything, you're like, man, what is going on? Like there is so much sign here. Well, the reason for that is just the pressure got to them. 
So they're going to back off and go into the woods and go deep into the marsh or whatever. And then at that point in time, that's when you're getting real deep and getting after it. But for me, um, you can, I have had success catching those deer off guard that like on the opening weekend, that close to the, to the parking lot. It, it, it works for me. So, um, when I'm scouting right now, I have probably a hand, maybe like six or seven spots that are within a 10 minute walk of the parking lot, which is, you know, far from my average. Typically I'm walking 30 to 40 minutes from the parking lot. At least sometimes I'm up to an hour, um, just to get to my spot. So, you know, you can find those in just to describe them. They're not food sources. It it is very feasible that if you're out like drive scouting, you know, right now in August and you're seeing bucks and does out on bean fields or out in alfalfa fields or whatever, this year, Wisconsin opened September 12th. Um, and I don't know what, where all you guys are coming from or anything, a large part of my listenerships from Wisconsin, but, um, if you can actually get in there while those beans are still green and everything right opening, you know, you get the right wind, um, you get the right entry and exit route. And you know that the deer have been using, uh, you know, a bean field on public land. You can actually have success on that. I've seen people do it. Um, I ran into a guy last year who did it uh, on opening weekend. So it's not, uh, it's not unheard of, but after opening weekend, man, your odds are going way down just because, you know, pressure starts getting to them and they, you know, you have one other public land hunter who doesn't play the wind, who doesn't care about entry and exit routes. And they're just letting all the deer in the area to go, Oh man, it's hunting season time to hole up and, and find a different food source, you know? Um, so that is, that is definitely a possibility there. Um, the other things I'm, I'm really looking for are, kind of secluded oak trees, um, that have shooting lanes around them and I can get into easily and, and, and quickly. So like if I have a soybean field where I think deer might be feeding, they might be getting into that field at, you know, 10 PM or 11 PM, but they may be stopping at that oak tree at 8 PM when it's just, you know, the last 30 minutes of light or something. So, and that oak tree would be, you know, you have the field, and then, you know, a hundred yards back, you have the oak tree and then another hundred yards back, you have the bedding or 80 yards back, you have the bedding, whatever it is. So finding that those, those food sources between the major egg fields can be extremely effective. I, I know from trail camera data and from sitting myself that, um, those deer just stop by, they'll sit there for 10, 15 minutes, munch on those acorns and then slowly browse their way to those fields. And they, they become much more aware and much their, their senses get much more heightened the closer they get to that egg field, because they know that danger, danger comes when they're out in the open. That's why they like feeding in secluded areas and bedding in extremely secluded areas because there's no danger. As they get closer to those open fields, they, they, they sense that increase in danger and they get more aware of their surroundings. So again, if you can sneak into that Oak tree, that's dropping acorns and you can get set up, you know, on some sort of edge of that Oak tree, you can see it, you know, 30 yards or 40 yards or less. Um, that is an, an ideal scenario. 
Uh, I, I really like those. I also have a couple a couple scenarios that are um, Oak Islands, but they're just easy to get to. So that is another thing. Um, so a lot of times in the early season, you have a southwest wind. And I'm picturing an Oak Island that is fairly close. I mean, from my truck when I park, I'm walking down a gravel road, maybe, I don't know, 500 yards. And then I'm, and then I turn off the gravel road goes honestly, like almost through the Oak Island. So I really don't have to do a whole lot in terms of walking and getting out there. I don't have a huge um, amount of, of stress and the mosquitoes aren't nearly as bad because I'm not walking through the dirty swamp. So like if you have a Southwest wind, the only problem is, is the parking lot of that Oak Island is also to the South of that Island. So when I'm walking in, if I have a Southwest wind, my wind is just pretty much blowing right into that Oak Island, which kind of sucks. But if you, if I stay enough people just kind of walk that gravel road and whatnot, that um, if I just stay on that, deer don't sense that as necessarily danger, especially opening weekend. They just think it's, you know, somebody out there walking their dog or something like that. And um, and so what I do is I'll walk kind of all along the whole edge of that Oak Island, and then I'll loop back around. So almost like a J, an upside down J or like an umbrella or a candy cane, if you can picture that in your head, and I'll come back, back into the oak island on the far east side of it so if i'm coming up the the, from the south on the west side of it i I get to the top of it i loop way back around and set up on the east side of it on the northeast side so then any deer that are in that island as they're working towards the egg fields which are also to the northeast um the i i bump into them and last year i had you know two does come in at six yards on opening night um had them both come right through and I know there's good bucks in that area because I had them on trail camera as well. It just wasn't the night. And the um, the next night I had a north wind, which would not does not set up well for that at all. So I, I didn't go back there and I ended up just, you know, going for a different spot. And um, and yeah, that's just that's just a, a, a different way to do it. So really, that's my strategy early season is I really don't I I will just hold off and wait to really dive into the dirty swamps until mid to late October um, when the heat's down the mosquitoes are down I'm not sweating I'm not really um, busting everything out of there or anything and that's another big thing is in the early season you know deer can kind of bed anywhere and you can really kind of you can be that hunter that screws it all that screws it all up and tells all the deer that that everybody's around. So the first thing of that is like if you're if you're unsure about going deep, I like you know a mile back or three quarters back or something like that, and you really want to get in there. If you're unsure about it, don't go. Just just try an observation sit sit far back and just watch, and then and then learn and then maybe go like that Saturday night and then Sunday night you go actually go in or maybe you you do two sits Saturday night and Sunday night and then Monday night you actually go in so that's that's one option um but the other thing was the the bedding can be 
kind of anywhere. There's just so much vegetation. There's so many spots for deer to hide. That's why in the early season, when you're like walking to your spot and you're walking through like a CRP field or you're walking like down an egg field edge or whatever it is, you'll actually see beds like right off the side of that. And A, that's because deer really aren't pressured that much over the summer. And B, like they feel safe there. And a lot of times that bed is kind of a, I call it an auxiliary bed. So they'll just lay there for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour while they, while their food digests, kind of like all of us, right? You go get a big thing of Chinese food. You don't want to leave the couch for, you know, three hours until you, that's like kind of digested. <laughs> same, same thing with, same thing with deer after they eat a ton of beans or, or alfalfa or whatever they're after, like they like to sit down and lay down and just relax for a little bit. And then they'll get up and go to their primary bedding. So a lot of times that that auxiliary bedding area is right off that field edge and they'll be there from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. And then they'll get up and go to their primary bedding before you're even coming out at 5 a.m. Or sometimes, you know, you kick them off the field when you're coming in. And a lot of times they'll be bedded right in that field and they'll just get up and, you know, burn out of there. You won't have a shot because it's still dark, but you'll hear them running. A lot of times you hear them blowing at you. Um, so it's it, it, it can be a whole huge mess if you don't if you don't know, if you're extremely sure about your entry and exit, you know where the deer are bedding, you know where they're gonna head for a food source, you know where that interception point is, then yeah, by all means, of course, get in there, you know? But if you're like, man, this Oak Island looks really good, I'm not 100% sure, I've never been there before, I've never scouted it out, um, maybe I'll just jump right in there and give it a try. I don't think that's a great idea, I think, it, it could be, it very well could be, you could get in there and set up and it turns out beautiful and a nice giant buck comes walking in and, and you have the whole Dan infault story, hunting bee story, we set up on an Island and all that stuff. And it's all great. Um, but 99 times out of a hundred, that's not going to be the case. Um, for me personally, a lot of times it turns out that that Oak Island is just a dirty, nasty mess. There's no trees to really get into. Um, there really aren't that whole many deer on there. If there are, it's so loud that I already booted them all out of there. Mosquitoes are everywhere. I'm frustrated. I get in a tree. I don't see a deer. I have to walk back in the dark through the swamp and it just sucks. So I, that's why I leave those kind of spots until mid to late October when a lot of the leaves are down, the vegetation's down. I can see it from a long ways away. I'm not so worried about mosquitoes or hot weather or frustration. Like, you know, in the pre-rut, the rut, kind of anything can happen at that point. You have a lot better odds of catching bucks and, and deer in general up on their feet. So I just kind of leave that alone. Um, and I will try to find those, those honey holes and that are close to the parking lot. And I, like I said, I have a bunch of them marked and that's from previous historical information and historical data, which is something that is a, a very key element in the whitetail, the, the whitetail series that I'm pushing out. Cause almost everybody I've talked to so far uses historical data. So if you don't have that, and this is your first year getting out there first year, getting after it, like, that's awesome. Welcome to, you know, welcome to the brotherhood of hunting. Um, it's phenomenal. You're probably going to fail a lot, but when you are successful, there's nothing else like it. And every other hunter is going to tell you the same thing. There's nothing like, you know, being able to, to heart, to kill your first deer and put that food on your table and, and know that you put in the time and effort, uh, to kill this animal so that you guys can eat it. 
and and you outsmarted him or her like that is it i don't know what it is it's something ancestral something biological you know it's just it's crazy it just is such a great feeling so anyway that that all aside if this is your first year and you're just getting out there i would i would definitely encourage you to do observation sits don't go super deep into the woods or anything um Try to get off the beaten trail a little bit. You're looking for for deer tracks along soybean fields or off soybean fields, and you're kind of following them back um, from the soybean fields or, or alfalfa fields or whatever, or maybe you got a big plot of woods or maybe you got some hills and valleys. What you're trying to do is find the food. So find an apple tree, find an oak tree that has acorns, find a bean field, find an alfalfa field, and then follow that back, follow the tracks or, or the deer trails back to where it starts to get pretty thick. So you'll kind of notice like once you get in the woods, it's sometimes it's thinner and it's more open. Then all of a sudden you'll get to a spot where you're like, holy cow, I really don't want to walk through all this crap. I don't want to go any further. And that's where you should set up because that's generally the deer are going to get into that crap and they'll probably go another you know, 50, a hundred, maybe further than that. They'll, you know, they, they might go further than that, but a lot of times that's like the bedding. That's generally where they're going to lay down, especially in the early season. They'll, they'll generally be closer to the food source and then further away. Um, just because again, the vegetation, the thickness of everything, they can feel safe that close to the food source as pressure picks up and vegetation decreases. They generally move further away from the food source. Um, because it's just less less pressure and they feel safer further away. So um that's what that's what you're going to do and that's you're going to set up on the edge of that thick stuff kind of, you know, 30, 40, 50, 100 yards off of a field edge or again like on an oak tree that's that's back in the woods or an apple tree that you find back in the woods or any or you can also set up on like deer trail intersections. That's also a, a great point to make is you know, you got two or three trails that all come together in one area. That's also a great spot to set up. So if you're following one of those trails back and all of a sudden it splits into three different directions or four different or whatever, you're like, man, I don't know which which trail to take, then just set up right there and then wait until, and, and that can be your quote unquote observation set, even though you're pretty much in the game. And if you're close to the trail, you know, 20 yards off, 30 yards off, you can get a chance at a deer that uses that trail. So that's that's my advice for public land and then as you learn that area just keep moving further back until until you until you spook them up until you bump them and then you hear them running away from you and stuff and that's when you know you went too far so then next time don't go that far <laughs> you know stay back a little bit um but also at the at the same token i know this kind of sucks um you don't want to go to the same spot every time you want it you want to have a, a great a good amount of diversity in where you sit. The more you sit a single spot, the more the deer learn your habits and they learn that they shouldn't go there or else they could die. So, um, you know, the more you, the more you diversify where you go, the, the more opportunity you're going to get. Cause the name of the game is really trying to surprise that deer and have them have no idea that you're there at all whatsoever. Um, that is, that is the objective. And if you're in, in, in a, if all of a sudden you find yourself in an area that you've never been before and no other hunter has been this year yet, like that can be that element of surprise that you need, um, just through exploration, walking around, 
finding some spot and going, you know what, this looks good. There's a bunch of tracks on the ground. There might be a scrape over there, some rubs or something. And it looks like this is kind of the edge of, you know, a, a woods and some really thick brush and, and it's, you know, a hundred yards off of this soybean field and it just might all work out well. So, and then, and that can really put you in the game and you might just find a great spot that way. So that's public land for the early season and in how I kind of tackle it. Feel free to find me on Instagram or find me. You can, I think my email's on here. It's hellera90 at Gmail. Um, and you can just shoot me an email or whatever. If you have questions, pull out Onyx Maps, punch that stuff in, um, punch in a waypoint or something. Feel free to send it to me. I'm not out here to take your spots. <laughs> I'm not, I can definitely give you advice and my thoughts on what's going on. And if you're a new hunter and you're really just trying to learn something, you know, of course, um, I'm more than willing to help and, and give my advice and give my opinion, not saying that it's right, but at least it might, you know, help you think about your piece a little bit differently and maybe bring you some, some success. Moving on to private land. So private land is totally different because you can have, you get to control the pressure for the most part, um, or at least, you know, the pressure you know, I have a friend who hunts 10 minutes down from me. He's been on the podcast a few times. His name's Parker. His family, his his dad and two of his uncles own a property and that whole family gets to hunt it. So he knows who's there. He just doesn't know when they hunt, exactly where they hunt and how often they hunt and, you know, what stands they're sitting in. They He doesn't know that information but he knows that there's only, you know, eight other guys out there on a few hundred acres. Whereas my property is, it's just, it's just me right now. Like, um, my dad really doesn't hunt and I haven't figured out the property. I have pretty much 110 acres to myself, which is outrageously fortunate. Um, I am very aware of the fact that I have this promising opportunity in front of me and, and I am very humbled by the fact that like it, we have it and my family's done well enough to be able to purchase um, 110 acres and, and we can have it as recreational ground. So I'm not lost on that fact for sure. And I've been and I still actually really enjoy hunting the public land because of the challenge. And, you know, the public as as you learn a piece of public and as you really get to understand it, it doesn't it doesn't really seem like public land that much anymore because you know it like the back of your hand and you know where the other people, the other hunters typically go. Cause I could, I could literally on this 6,000 acres, I could dump, uh, well, I, I know about three to 4,000 acres of it pretty well, just from five years of spending weekends, you know, Saturday and Sunday, six hours a day, seven hours a day walking it. Um, and then hunting it a lot. I can tell you where most of the pressure is and where most of the people are going. So I can easily avoid those and try to understand it really knocks down that 4,000 acres into, you know, a few hundred that I really like to hunt just, you know, 10 acre parcels here in on, on these different spots, because that's, those are the 10 acres or the 15 or the 20 acres that really don't get a lot of pressure. So as you learn a piece of public, you can start understanding that pressure and you start understanding where deer like to bed and then kind of position yourself to, to learn that a lot better and start getting some great opportunities at deer 
uh, that you obviously wouldn't get first year and second year because you just don't know. But anyway, um, the private land, you can plant food plots. Um, you can sit egg fields pretty easily because you on, because the pressure just isn't there. Um, you get to set up tree stands so you get to have everything preset. You don't need to go out there and hang everything. Um, it'll, and you can set out your trail cameras without fear of them being stolen for the most part. Um, luckily I have great neighbors and, um, they all keep tracks and eyes on everything as well. And, um, so we don't have a whole lot of theft or anything going on in, in our neighborhood. Um, but it, but I'm also kind of in that same, it's in a similar mindset, um, on private land of, you know, try that, try those, drop a trail camera or, or hunt the edge of a soybean field. And if, if you're not seeing deer on it, then follow that deer trail back to where you think you can catch them in an opening. Um, you know, you can trim out, you can trim out some trees, you can trim out a trail. Um, and actually, you know, if it is extremely thick and you go in there and trim out of trail, Parker and I were hanging a couple stands at, at, on my property the other day. And one of our biggest concerns was, Hey man, we're trimming out this trail so that I can get to this stand without being noticed. I'm pretty sure this is going to become a deer trail because it's, it's through some thick stuff. And if the deer find it, they're going to start using it. Um, but that you can also use that to your advantage as well. So, you know, if the deer aren't necessarily doing what you want them to do, you can also trim out a trail on private and get them to start doing what you want them to do so that you can set up in a way that's effective for entry and exit route and wind direction after you get to learn your property. But in general, the, the tactics are pretty, pretty similar. I mean, there isn't, there's not a huge difference, um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hunting those ag fields. I'm hunting the food plots. Um, in some states, you can have baiting or you can have mineral sites and things like that on my property. I don't. I don't believe you can. I don't have any out, so um, it's just not my thing. Uh, I know you can't bait. I don't know about mineral because I do know Parker doesn't use it down the road, but I know some other people um, in my area do, but I don't know if that's legal or not. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. Um, but, uh, but I just, I just don't do it cause I just don't want to be illegal and, uh, it's, it's whatever to me, but yeah, I mean, you can hunt those egg fields and then work them back towards, you know, uh, uh, an auxiliary food source, like some oaks, um, or apple trees or something like that. And you can just really have the big piece there also, as well as is access and being able to, to understand the pressure. And one of the other, like back to the whole pressure thing is that on, on public, if you don't know pressure, you can still go kind of sit those auxiliary spots and do observation sits and stuff like that. And, and you can dive in and almost use it like a testing ground because, well, someone might do it anyway. So just give it a shot, see what happens on pub on private. You get to be more cautious. So if you do those observation sits and you're really not seeing anything, you may not want to just dive in. You may want to sit back and go, well, you know, I'll wait for some scrapes to open up or I'm going to set up a mock scrape or I'm going to set up a horizontal rub and I'm going to put a trail camera on it and see if I see when deer start hitting that. And once they do, then I'll move in and start trying to hunt that. 
because one of the other things on private is you don't want to go busting through bedding areas and push all the deer off your property and onto the neighbors, right? So you just get to be a little bit more cautious. Um, you get to take it a lot slower because you're not competing against other hunters on your own property. So that is that is also a very key point. So, you know, sometimes on public, even if I have a bad a bad wind, I'll be like, well, whatever, I'll still give it a shot just to see because deer might come from a different direction this time or something. Whereas on private, if I kind of have a bad wind, I just won't hunt. I'll just be like, well, I know this is going to be blowing kind of into a bedding area. And I know it's very, very low odds of me, of me actually being able to sit in this area and, and get away with it and not have deer smell me. So I'm just not really going to hunt. Um, because again, it's that, it's that pressure factor and it's just being more cautious and more, much more calculated with your sits. That being said, you know, if it's your first year hunting a new piece of private, I encourage you to go in there and fail because, you know, if you, one of my other thoughts here is like, you know, if it takes you, let's just say 300 sits to really like understand a property, I think that's pretty high. Maybe it's like, I don't know, a hundred sits, probably maybe less depending on the size of the property and stuff. But 100 sits to to really understand a property in the mornings and evenings and everything like that. You can get, instead of waiting 10 years and only sitting 10 times because you're waiting for perfect weather, yet, but you still don't understand the property that well. You're just waiting for great cold fronts or only the rut or something like that. If you're taking 10 years to sit 10 times or 100 times, you know, you, you're not going to learn that property for 10 years. You might, you might have good success just because of the lack of pressure in there, but you also could have had, you might have been able to have more success if you just would have tried that sooner. So for me, like I'm more of the mindset of, I would rather sit 50 times in the first year and really muck it up and, and fail a lot and maybe get lucky. And then the following years, take all that information and take all that experience and go, okay, I mucked up this spot. Like I shouldn't do this again. I shouldn't do this again. I shouldn't do this again. And that's me personally. And then, and then I know, I also know, man, this worked out really well. So I'm going to put this one in the piggy bank and save that one for later. I know I can only go in here on this type of wind in late October. But even though I was in here in early September or mid September, it sucked. But late October, this spot is bomb. And I know that because I sat so many times on different winds and, and different times a year, because it seems like, you know, deer have a pattern in the early season and then the pre-rut and rut, it's kind of chaos. There is a little bit of a pattern and going from bedding area to bedding area and checking scrapes, but a lot of times it's chaos. And then late season, they're back to, you know, going from bedding to feed all the time and, uh, but the food sources change, right? So, you know, late season, they want standing beans or picked corn. Um, they don't want, they sometimes want some acorns. A lot of times they don't, they would rather have those big egg sources. Whereas early season, you want green beans only corn sucks. And you're just going for, you know, those acorns and apples and, and they have so much browse for vegetation. That's all they, you know, 90% of their diet is that anyway. So there's just a lot, a lot that goes, goes into that. And I'm just of the mindset that get the failures out of the way right away and, and learn from them right away. And then 
shorten that learning curve to instead of 10 years taking you to learn a property, try to get it done in four or five. And I think that's that's the way I like to think about it. Um, so I still think like you should you should do some risky stuff and you should give it a try. And that's going to give you that historical data that gets you, you know, more successful faster than, you know, only hunting 10 times and going, man, I wonder what it's like during this time in this spot. And you just never know because you never go in because the wind's never perfect or anything like that. But it could be, it could be, you just don't even know because you haven't tried. So, um, I think that kind of covers it. Um, I've talked to myself here for about 40 minutes. <laughs> um, and I don't, I don't know anything else I can talk about on the private land. Um, you get to hang your own tree stands, ladder stands. Um, I still use a saddle on private land when I'm going to areas that I don't know. Um, I think it's really important to put cameras out. I, I do. I think that really shortens the learning curve for a lot of people, especially early season. Again, they can be anywhere. So if you can figure out a pattern though, they're generally going to stick to it. So, you know, that is extremely helpful with trail cameras and figuring out how they're using a piece. And then also, you know, over the years, especially, you know, if this is your first year trying out a piece, get out there in February, March, April and scout it and walk through those bedding areas and push those deer around and boot them all off the property. Like, I, I don't think that's a bad idea at all. And I think you learn a ton of information from that. And they have seven, eight months to settle down and realize that you're not walking through there every single day. But now you know, hey, the deer generally like to bed in these, you know, on our, on our 110 acres, I have one, two, three, four, five generally general bedding areas that are five acre, five acres or less each. Um, so like, I know that those are the places that I need to stay out of. And that's all due to winter scouting. Um, I know those are the places I need to stay out of. I know I need to keep my wind out of those areas. And I know my entry and exit routes need to avoid them. Because one thing I was doing last year, we have a four wheel trail that kind of runs through the middle of our property. And at one point it divides kind of a left a left or south hillside from a north hillside. And I was getting a ton of good pictures on the north hillside. Like every buck I got on the property was on that north hillside. And it's kind of a, a pseudo pinch point from a rock wall that comes down. It It's hard to explain, but essentially they can't get up the hill until they get to this one, this one spot. So I had all these different deer on it. The problem, the biggest problem with it, I get them at 11 a.m. I get them at 3 p.m. I get them at 2 a.m. I get them at 7 a.m. I get them at noon. Like there is no rhyme or reason to it. And in the winter, when I went in there, um, there's kind of three trails that all merge at this one spot to get up the hill. And I, I learned that where those, I've just literally got on those three trails, each of them, and just followed them until they got off my property. And as I walked them, I began to understand how the deer use them and where they break off to go bed. And, um, one of them, you know, was just much, much larger than the others. And I actually, I found a trail camera that I had totally forgotten about. So it had been out there for like eight months or, so, or not eight months. Um, like it was out there. 
all of December, all of January, all of February. And I think I found it in March. I was like, holy cow, this thing's out here. And it turns out that all the good bucks on the property that were left and in, in wintering on our property were using um, a specific trail every you know week or so, um, less than a week. It was every like four or five days, if I remember right. And if I would have known that, if I would have known I had a camera there, man, I would have checked that in late season. Yeah, I can tell you right now, late season this year, that's where I'm going to be. Um, and it's all because I went to that rock wall and found this one trail that was coming out of it in the winter. And I didn't know that it even existed. So um, just because it goes through a lot of tall grass and stuff, and it just really doesn't look like a good trail, but apparently it is. So uh, there's just a lot you can learn there and a lot you can go on. Um, and, and yeah, just learning a piece of property again, you know, bumping deer, learning where they're running to, that's always a good one. Cause they always run in a safe direction where they think they're going to be safe. Um, so understanding that as well. And, um, yeah, just overall trying to figure it out and failure is a huge part of that. So I think I'm going to start rambling if I talk anymore. Uh, if you guys have any questions, or you want to know more about something or, or anything like that, you know, obviously feel free to reach out. I'm more than willing to help. Um, I hope all of you listen to and really enjoy the deer vein whitetail series. I've put a lot of time and effort into that. I think it's going to be great. I think you guys are going to love it. And I think it's going to be very valuable for so many people. And then the last thing is, um, if you do get, I think I told you this already, but if you do end up buying or looking into saddle hunting and you want to buy one, use the code DVAIN10. Um, I've said this on a bunch of podcasts lately, so I can't remember who I actually said it to or not, but use that code DVAIN10 and it gets you 10% off. Gives me a little street cred with Arrow Hunter Saddles, shows that my audience is actually like listening to us and buying saddles and I'm actually like worth working with, <laughs> I guess if that makes the most sense. So, um, yeah, also you guys, if, if any of you out there have, uh, I've been getting a lot of questions lately on just like, how do you grow a channel? How do you start a podcast? How do you, you know, start talking to sponsors? How do you get people to sponsor you? All that kind of stuff. Um, I do have a podcast right on that, but if you have, if you have different questions or, or detailed questions or anything like that, please, yeah, feel free to reach out. I'm more than happy to help with that as well. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for listening, guys. And um, again, Deer Vein Whitetail Series coming out starting August 31st. And um, that's the first episode. September 2nd is the second one. All right. Catch you guys later.